Hello, this is Colin Keeley here. And I'm Brent Sanders. And we are two guys buying and building wonderful internet companies. So Brent, you want to kick it off? Yeah. Yeah. So we, I don't know, where do we even start with this? Because I had a conversation with a mutual friend of ours who, you know, we threw this idea out that, hey, we're going to spin up a fund and, and call it essentially a search fund or, I don't know, a micro PE fund, some cross between the two. And his background's in, in venture and he his, his one piece of advice, and he does have a epic track record, is to, you need a great track record, which is like a cart before the horse problem. So how do you start something when you have no track record? We have one deal going, and I, I've been beating this drum. I was like, you got to crush this one deal. In the next six months, start seeing some really good returns and at least a trajectory of, hey, this is what we can do with our in-house skill set, even though the approach that we plan on taking with the fund is different. So with this fund, which I think we're, the working title is now Vern after Jules Vern, is find a business that has some MRR that we like and some uh, similar to the deal that we, we did recently and you know, execute some sort of playbook, but put someone in as, as a CEO or operator. So that's a distinction with a fund versus like a private equity fund versus a search fund is going out and acquiring one business and installing yourself as the CEO. Yeah, we, we don't plan on running, which that I think is probably the, the harder part of this than what we're doing with, with Blink Sales. Like Blink Sale, we, it's a known quantity. We can work on it. We can put our skills towards it. But the variability of we got to find a CEO. And I've been through this in the, the studio model. I think we talked about in a prior, prior episode is we're trying to understand fitting the right operator into the right business. But I think the thing that keeps us going on, on the idea is that because it's not a startup, which is supremely harder to, to place a CEO in than having existing revenue coming in and, and just running an operating business and growing it, it should be significantly easier. But that is the, the interesting part of this. Anyways, his feedback was, you got to have a good track record. You got to point to some wins. And without having any track record other than one deal, how do you go about doing that? When I, if I were to be putting my self in the shoes of a LP or somebody who's going to put money into to something like this is track record is definitely important to me. I'm, I'm very much like a Midwestern, show me the numbers and I'll make a, a wise decision based on track record or gut feeling around the founders, more on a venture side of things. But I don't know, people that start funds, I swear to God on Twitter, everybody's got a fund of some like a rolling fund and maybe you can look at their background and make an assessment. You can look at the decisions and tweets they've made. I guess that's how people do this on Twitter. I don't know. Like what's, <laughs> how do, how do people get this done? So I had a lot of thoughts on this. Uh, I'll just start going through them. But so yeah, when you're raising capital, having a track record is like the biggest thing. So yeah, it'd be lovely to have an amazing track record, but you have to, no one has a track record when they start. So you have to start somewhere. So you start small and that's what we did. And then you do bigger and bigger versions of that. So we, we don't have a track record doing exactly this, but we have, I'd say that like the credibility, the skills, the trust of doing very similar stuff and not having the money is like a solvable issue. So if you don't have the money, you could do search funds. So I came out of Chicago booth. So a lot of folks do that, a Stanford booth, HBS. So that's like a trodden path of someone with a nice pedigree goes out and raises capital, buys a business and goes from there. So that's with outside capital. You could do an SBA 7A loan, which is a little trickier for these SaaS companies, but doable again for things on the smaller end. 
or you could go the syndication route, which is what we're basically talking about. So I would say it's way harder to raise a blind pool of capital, which is what a, a big private equity fund is. So if you came to me and said, hey, we should go raise a billion dollars and buy out startup unicorns, I'd say that's probably hard, but you could do these smaller deals and like a great deal is just a great deal. So with conservative growth rates and like a solid playbook, I think you could deliver amazing returns and that's not, I don't know, like as dependent on us, it just, it is what it is. It's a good deal. You secured it. I think you could raise capital around that. Yeah. So that begs the question. It's like the role of identifying the opportunity is what you're even banking on. It's like, Hey, we just, you're finding something that if you put energy into it, with even a moderately good operator, it's going to do, it's going to produce returns. Cause mind you, it's already, all these businesses are already generating revenue. There's somebody who either wants to get out of the business or they started it and weren't necessarily equipped to continue it. The, oh, what got you here won't get you there type personality. And you put someone in who's the, it's going to take it from B to Z, not from the A to the B stage. So it's interesting. I don't know. It, it's hard to say the opportunity itself will be the, the deciding factor. You can't take people out of it, but it begs the question around where are you going to get your bench and where are those, what's the pedigree of, of the operators and how are they going to be? Because I feel like that's uh, almost the track record we could go after, which is don't look at us. We're not going to be the ones running it. Although we do have experience picking businesses, identifying opportunities. That's something we do have some track record with. And then you point to the the operators or the CEOs, but it's hard to have the CEOs ready when you don't have the the business done and when you're still fundraising, right? So it's this whole like chicken and the egg on, on a multiple scale. Yeah, I think in all likelihood, you secure like a, the letter intent to business, you, uh, you know, finalize capital, you secure the deal. And best case scenario, you have a CEO lined up to take over in two to three weeks. But realistically, it's probably a year step again, you're implementing some of the low hanging fruit that you identified. And then you have a CEO ready in like within three months. Yeah, and that yeah, makes sense. I, I, so I've, I probably know like these other holding companies that do this better than just about anyone else that hasn't done it yet. So I know their playbook. I know how it works for them. So I'm literally just copying other people that have done this well. And I think the market is super big that it's not an issue and we're not really going to be. What do you do once you start? So let's say uh, we fast forward six months, like how do people articulate or publish their track record? Obviously you put it in the rosiest terms possible, the most favorable way to reflect against you, but it's like, hey, I was able to turn this revenue into that revenue, this type of returns, or is it just straight up like IRR? Yeah, I would say you, like I could model out what an IRR will be with a pretty conservative growth rate and layer on debt and whatever our other you know basic improvements that we're gonna do on for each deal. And I had 30 to 50% IRR is like completely credible in what a lot of people are seeing in this market. And that's just like an amazing deal to invest in with, with these B2B SaaS companies that are like mission critical. The downside is not really, you know, that big of an issue. Like mm -hmm. they're mission critical SaaS companies. People aren't churning at like an extraordinary rate. You don't lose all your customers overnight. If anything, it'll decline slowly, but in all likelihood, you could turn it around and start growing it slowly. So let's talk about that mission critical. So Blink Sale, we, it's an invoicing company. Like it's the lifeblood of so many of the, the clients that we have and you know, they are definitely willing to give us feedback and, and work with us and try to make the, the product better because it's, it has such an impact on their business. What are some of the other areas that you've thought about that are sort of these mission critical pieces? Because invoicing is like a no brainer. That one's 
the money's coming in to the business. That's the top of the top of the food chain. So like the best case scenario would be like a golf course runs all its business on this software. Right. And things go up and down, but you can't cancel your software because you'd be effectively, you know, canceling your whole business. Yeah. Yeah. Moving it over. I'm like QuickBooks has enjoyed, I feel like this, this position and why so many people have jumped into that accounting space, jumped into, yeah. The, I guess mission critical is the right way to put it. It's, it's just the operating systems for your business and making those choices are, are very sticky. That's always been the SaaS stream, right? Is like Intuit has crushed it. It's, you're going to, they're going to take it, take you through the process of, getting all your data. And then it's just very hard to get your data out. And it's not like we are trying to make it hard to get your data out, but it's just a matter of, Hey, you've, you're in this system and the, every day you use it, you're getting more in, in meshed or entrenched, I should say into that system. Yeah. And this isn't like a new idea. Like mm -hmm. constellation software has been buying, I don't know, 300 to 500 of these mission critical SaaS companies for 30 years now or 20 years now. And they've had probably the, about the best run of like capital growing that anyone has ever had. I think they've compounded over 30%, you know, year over year for this whole period they've been in existence. So do you, can you use like track record as, all right, point to comps, point to, okay, these are other funds. We're, we're basically using a similar playbook. You may not be able to get your check into theirs. We're going to do ours. We're going to do ours slightly different. We're going to go after this model, but it's roughly like the same class of asset. Yeah, I think that'll be part of our pitch deck, which I have to create at some point here. You could, but if you look at statistically for venture capital, private equity funds, it's actually the first time funds that do the best because people care the most. They're you know, deploying a smaller amount of capital and then over time returns degrade because they raise bigger and bigger funds. They lean more on that two instead of the 20 in the compensation mm. structure. And you know, so I, I do think it's appealing to get involved early. And so- I don't know what the path is for us, but I think we'll syndicate. I would love to do, I want to do one in the next six months, but I think maybe three in the next year mm -hmm. is not crazy. And then think about raising a fund from there. If you have the track record to, to show it. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. It's, it's always fun to talk about, you know, with somebody, especially going back to anchoring back on our friend who was basically telling us, you, know, you got to have the track record to make things a lot easier. And it's don't have that, but thanks for the advice. But yeah, I think in, in terms of just one deal, I think we're, in a good position with at least the first venture, even though it isn't part of this same search fund necessarily, it's being operated slightly differently. Just pointing to that as, okay, this is the sort of impetus for syndicating these deals out and, and broadening the, the spectrum. We feel like we could do this on a grander scale and magnify the results if we just had capital, which I think it's a good, that's a viable pitch. Yeah. I hate all these people that like, I want to do this in the future. So I'm going to do this and this and all this horrible stuff before I actually do the thing I want to do. It's hey, like, you can make excuses to the end of time, right? or you can just start doing that thing you want to do. And it's going to be hard or horrible initially, but yeah, start where you want to end up is the playbook. Hey, this is especially an issue with MBAs, or I would say just smart individuals generally is like you could analysis paralysis yourself yeah. to death and you never do anything. Yeah. I mean, and this is, by the way, this is also a pretty scary thing to just jump into. I would say we, we executed on the prior deal pretty quickly and we were done within a month. We both were just like, all right, let's just do this. Let's just try it. Let's see how it goes. And it's a scary thing to just do, but at a certain point you have to act and you can't, yeah, you can't analyze it. You can't put the untils in front of thing that in front of your actions. So it sounds like you've been working with a business coach. <laughs> 
this is just my mindset. I'm always an optimist. Um, good. So. Good. Is that what your business coach is telling you? Just go for no, it? No, no. Actually, so yeah, there, I wanted to talk about the, we talked about this, what, three months ago, two months ago, maybe I, I signed up for some coaching and it's been really good. The main thing, the main takeaway has been, and so this is, it's actually through, I don't know if I divulged this earlier, it's through Robbins Research, which is related to Tony Robbins. So it's not necessarily, mm-hmm. I'm not talking to Tony Robbins, but the coach, it's through that organization, which made me super skeptical. And I was like, oh God but it's been really good. And the main takeaway is just living in the moment and all the techniques, everything is all about just getting you to focus on the moment and be in right now and fully all your energy on what you're doing right in this minute, whether it's spending time with your family, spending time on work, on a podcast with Colin, like it's been really good. It's from everything from, I was going through some back pain or illness, it's just forget about it. Don't mind over matter and all the techniques associated. So I'm a huge fan. I never thought I would say I was a fan of, of Tony Robbins or, or his whole shtick, but I am. And it's been really good. So I, I, that's the update on, on coaching. I highly recommend it. Yeah. Just, and it's not at all what I thought it would be. I thought it would be more, I don't know, techniques on how to get more work done, which I guess being in the moment kind of is, but it's been all about just being present and forcing yourself to stay present. So that's been so, super positive. Yeah. I think this is like the advice that everyone has given is be mindful, be present. But right. How do you do that? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. No, it's hard. They have, there's all these sort of teachings that are bestowed in they're short sessions. So they're 30 minute sessions mm-hmm. every other week or something like that. I mean, there was an hour first one, but that after that, it's just walk me through what's going on, walk me through the wins, what's the struggle. And so there, there's some of them are like, here are techniques to address your specific gripes or like challenges you're running into, but it always comes back to like, how are you setting up your day? Number one, obviously it's a no brainer, but everyone needs a reminder. You got to be working out. You got to be like treating the body. You got to meditate every day. Got to get some time to calm down. You cannot be like biggest lesson for me is you can't be rushing out to the office. You have to spend time before prepping and getting ready. So then when you are in it, you're doing, and then it's time management, like planning out your day every single day, like putting everything into your calendar. So you're not like checking your email, getting knocked off your pedestal of of focus. Because I get emails, I I keep my email open every day and all day. And I've been closing it now and it's okay. I'm doing these tasks and no matter what comes through, I'm always scared. The server went down or so-and-so has got a bug and something's cratering. So it's really a way to address anxiety. And it, it is much more deeply rooted, but I've got five, four to five different projects going on, businesses, like got a lot of different things that are going on. So this is very timely coaching and it's been really productive. So I've been able to, even if it means I'm only going to get an hour or two on Blink Sale today and I'm going to work on code or I'm going to work on some feature set or, or migrating customers, it's, that's all I'm doing during that time. So it's techniques for how to set up your calendar in a way that you can just focus. I've, so I've always had attention and focus issues. I cannot have email or Slack open. So mine's just closed all the time and I see Slack messages on my phone. So like I'll check in there and then I'll respond to people. Uh, I yeah. just find it like impossible to actually get anything done if you're just waiting on some notification at any moment to disrupt you. The world is set up that way. And I, I feel like I started a lot of my career being, I was like rewarded for being responsive, being a developer. I don't know, this is what, late 2000s, mid late 2000s and being responsive to emails and being a developer was a huge deal. And it was like a 
number one differentiator for my clients are like, Oh my God, you respond right away. And it's yeah. And that, that was rewarded. And therefore it was like, okay, that's what I need to do. Be really responsive, but it's actually a terrible thing to do if you want to actually concentrate and get your work done. So I've been spending a lot of time over the last 10 years killing that, that activity, but it's been ingrained. It's a, like a nervous energy that I have, but I'm turning, trying to turn it for good. And, and I think it's working. So a uh, huge fan of the coaching. It's not a lot of kumbaya, weird seance, <laughs> mumbling. It's a lot of just really sensible techniques of just being, what am I doing right now? And people like, you know, in mid conversation with you, they'll open their phone or people, they, they get that nervous energy, nervous ticks. It's, I'm not saying I do that, but just staying focused on exactly what's right now and thinking about what's this other person or what's whatever I'm working on, what is the impact it's going to have on another person? And it's putting that into uh, perspective. And then, yeah, just prompts to review and look backwards. And then it's a good thing. It was not cheap. I would tell you that it was far more than I expected to spend. And I won't go into how much it was, but it was far more than I would expect to spend <laughs> on coaching, but it's, it has been worth it. And I, I give my wife full credit because she's been doing this for about a year and she kind of was urging me to to try it out. Glad to hear it. Good. It's working out. That's all I got. Anything else you want to cover? No, we got to go get that track record going. We're working on it every yeah. day, working on it. All right. Take care, everyone. Thanks for listening.